Yes, hello there and welcome to Join Up Darts. This is an archive show, which means that I'm not here at the moment, but it's, it's all pre-recorded. But it does give you just a glimpse of what's been happening on the iTunes number one business entrepreneur show since we launched. Now, this show is different and you'll hear laughter, tears, shocking stories, real life turmoil, and of course, the kind of success blueprint that will change your life forever. If you want the dream life, then all the answers are here. Now, these are the old episodes, so to get right up to date listening to the latest stuff, then simply search Join Up Dots, click subscribe, and never miss an episode again. And of course, over at joinupdots.com, you can get instant access to our free 12-day podcasting course or loads of amazing free downloads to kickstart your own entrepreneurial journey, all made by my own fair hand. So let's get on with the show. You've got a lot of catching up to do after all. Enjoy. When we're young, we have an amazing, positive outlook about how great life is going to be. But somewhere along the line, we forget to dream and end up settling. Join Up Dots features amazing people who refuse to give up and chose to go after their dreams. This is your blueprint for greatness. So here's your host, live from the back of his garden in the UK, David Ralph. Yes, hello there once again and welcome to Join Up Dots. It's David Ralph, you wouldn't expect anyone else. And we've got another mighty guest on the show, episode 182, really flying along. And the, the big 200 is coming up just around the corner. Well, let's introduce you to him because he is a man who states that he is a, a Christ follower, a CEO of Author Media, a professional speaker, podcaster, WordPress lover, marketeer, political troublemaker, and homeschool graduate, which means that the conversations today can literally go anywhere and he will have an opinion on it. So what shall I start with first, religion or politics? Well, let's start with the fact that since building his first website at the age of 13, our guest has been fascinated with communication, whether it's in the written word or by presenting his message in award-winning presentations across America. He believes in connecting with people across the globe, and so it wasn't too much of a surprise to see that the early part of his career led heavily towards directing people on the political campaign trail. For several years, he assisted political hopefuls to run their campaign at grass level by recruiting, training, and organising volunteers to knock on doors and convince those voters that they met that their boss was the way forward. But it was when he took this love of influencing and communicating and combined it with his love of WordPress and website building but his career really started gaining pace. And in 2008, he created Umstadt Media, focused on social media consulting, web design, and helping authors and businesses get the most out of the web. This later changed to Castle Media Group, and the rest, as they say, is history. So what is it about communication that really lights him up inside and helps him explode the potential opportunities all around him? And does he have any design to go full circle and bring his skills back into the political environment? Well, let's find out as we bring on to the show to start joining up dots for one and only Thomas. Umstadt Jr. How are you, Thomas? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the show, David. It is great to have you here. We were chatting just beforehand, and you are in Austin, Texas. So I imagine it is glorious sunshine, probably 90 degrees at the moment, and everything is good in your life. <laughs> yeah, it's actually a little overcast today, which uh, is a bit unusual for Austin, but it's it's a beautiful day as usual, and we, we appreciate the shade uh, as much as we appreciate the sun around here. Do you get fed up with the sunshine? Do you, do you sort of open your curtains in the morning and go, oh, God, it's another sunny day? Because in the <laughs> United Kingdom, we love talking about the weather. That, that's one of our big things, football and weather. And we like the fact that you don't know what you're going to get between 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock, let alone for days on end. So do you get fed up with that? Uh, some people do complain about uh, the sun, especially in the summer. It, it will get hot and stay hot, and it's just sunny day after day. And uh, people who've traveled the world just kind of shake their heads and like, you don't realize what you're complaining about. There's a lot of people who'd love to have this kind of sun all the all the time. So, uh, can I ask you a question? With all that sun, why do you look so pale on your Skype picture? Where, where's <laughs> where is the suntan? 
Yeah, I don't tan very well. I mostly just burn. So I try to try to limit the amount of sun that I get so I don't I'm not pink all the time. Well, you're doing you're doing a good job. It amazes me actually. I speak to so many sort of entrepreneurs and they base their life around following the sun. So they all start off in say New York or, or Detroit or somewhere and they end up in San Diego and California and, and Florida. And they go from a place that has no sun and they end up in front of a computer that they close the curtains because they can't see the screen and they get no sun. And it seems bizarre <laughs> To, to take yourself from a place where probably productivity is easier to a place which is like paradise and then torture yourself by not seeing any of it. <laughs> yeah, that's the, the irony of uh, being in tech especially. And a lot of developers will have what I call developer hours. They wake up at 4 or 5 in the afternoon and then they code all night. And uh, they even if they live in a sunny place, they're missing out most of it um, because of the, they basically live in a different time zone than what they actually live in. So, so if we take you back in time, which I like to do on Join Up Dots, it's the theme of the show. Um, what, what was the young Thomas Umstadt Jr.? See, I, I've been practicing your name now, so I'm going to say it in its full <laughs> length all the time. What was the young kind of Thomas doing in, the, um, in Austin, Texas, when he was a, a young child? So growing up, um, Austin was just starting its first tech boom. And a lot of my uh, friends' dads were in engineering and computers. And my dad uh, was a bit of a computer nerd himself. So I remember as a kid, he brought home this green screen computer with DOS on it. And uh, it had, and he had some games on floppy disks. But to figure out how to play the games, I had to learn how to interface uh, with DOS as a seven, eight-year-old child. So I started to learn computers basically as a way of learning how to play the, the computer games because we didn't have a Nintendo or anything like that. And so um, I don't think my parents planned it this way. But you know, as the computers broke, I was highly motivated to get them working again so that I could go back uh, to playing those games. And you know, one thing led to another, and then I started wanting to upgrade my computers and then. I got curious about this new thing called the internet that you could build websites on, which was really fascinating for me uh, as a young uh, teenager. And so uh, this was before the days of Facebook or MySpace. If you wanted a place on the web, you had to build it yourself. And so, you know, learning HTML and front page back in the day, that was my first journey into the web and just kind of adding one thing onto another. And that's what got me started on this path that I'm still on. Did you think it's it's easier to be where you are now because you really learnt the nuts and bolts of it? Because I imagine a lot of the, the kids, I say kids loosely, basically anybody younger than me is a kid now. And um, they, they kind of come in and they can press this button and they can do that. And there's a lot of sort of shortcuts. I, I've loaded loads of things up on my computer recently on my um, Join Up Dots site, which I didn't know how to do. And people have said, oh, you just download this plugin and you click this and you click that and it does it. So I think, okay, that's fine, brilliant, and it's done the job for me, but I don't know what it's actually done. So the fact that you really did go to the nuts and bolts of computer programming, has that helped you, or is there no difference, really? It has, and for probably one primary reason. When I first got started, there was no Google. <laughs> there was, in fact, most search engines didn't really work very well. Uh, Yahoo, in the early days, didn't find what you're looking for. It's why Google exploded it so quickly. It still doesn't, so, Yahoo, does it really? Yeah. <laughs> Be honest. I, I, yeah, I haven't really used it in a long time. but no, And there's a reason, because I'm not super excited with the results that I get. But to fix a problem, you had to just try stuff. And so learning uh, trial and error and learning how to strategically troubleshoot problems and you know which things to test first to see if they're broken so that you can kind of keep cutting the number of things that are possible in half. That approach I wouldn't have learned uh, at such a young age if I had had Google with all the answers right there where I could just type in an error and find the answer to it. And that's been very helpful now because uh, one of the things I found is that the higher you get in business and the you know more cutting edge you get with technology, there are no more. You get to the point where you're out in front of the case studies, where the case studies on what you're doing haven't been written yet. And so it's kind of back to that trial and error where, you know, you don't know what's going to work and you try something and it fails and, you know, you become the case study, kind of the lesson for other people in some ways. And so that was really helpful. Do you have lots of things that come up and you go, oh, I used to know how to do this, but oh, I've kind <laughs> of moved on now? Yes, uh, basically anything with Windows. I was uh, one of my younger brothers was trying to get uh, his computer working. He's doing a lot of stuff with Windows, and I was like, "Wow, I've really forgotten how Windows works." Because I I converted. I had a spiritual experience and converted to the Macintosh Colt uh, about 
eight years ago. And, you know, so my last Windows operating system was Windows XP. And so suddenly I'm not all of these Windows things that used to just be right on the top of my head have faded a bit into the past. I like Windows 98. I, <laughs> that's that's the last one that I think did exactly what it should. And then everything else seemed to get more complicated as far as I can see. Yeah, it's they're they're rolling it back now. I hear the next version of Windows is going to be less Windowsy than the current version. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Well, I, I recalled on I think it's Windows Eight. Is that the most up to date one? Maybe I don't know. And there's no buttons on it at all. You have to sort of go to corners and hopefully things do stuff. What's the point in that? It's it's like <laughs> buying a car where you can't find the steering wheel. It's just <laughs> stupid. They should have everything as big buttons and and then you know how to use it. That's right. That was the whole point of a graphics interface is that there's buttons and icons uh, to click on. I think they're going to get back to the buttons. Those of you listening in the future, don't worry. It, it'll get better. It, it will be. And, and you'll look at me as, and Thomas as some miserable old men. And go, <laughs> no wonder they died out and the new breed come through. Did you have, you know, I'm going to touch on your, your history again, but do you remember what games that you used to play when you was a kid, the ones that really excited you, the ones that... You, you might have a big cartridge and you just slammed it into the back of the computer and bang, it was working. Well, I don't know if it bang, it was working very often. Half, half of the fun of the game was getting it working because uh, I didn't have very uh, good technology. But a couple of the ones I really enjoyed, Keen, Commander Keen, um, uh, was a great series. Keen 4, I must have played that, you know, dozens of times. Uh, there was an old DOS game called Bomb 32, that was in color, which was very exciting. And you had these little tanks, and they would you had to do trajectory and um, try to shoot these bombs over hills to land on the other tanks controlled Pong, by the computer. Though, can you can you beat Pong? So Keen actually had Pong inside of it. So Pong was a little bit before my time. You're getting as excited, Thomas. I've, I've touched your nerve. I can feel it. <laughs> But um, yeah, so I played it inside of Keen, and I was like, "Wow, this is like really old school." Because the um, there was a big transition in games. The early games were like the arcade games were more like a puzzle, like Pong, and then everything shifted with Zelda uh, for the Nintendo, which was a story first with a game kind of built into the story. And you can kind of mark that point in history. There's the pre-Zelda games and the post-Zelda games. Where where did the sort of desire to communicate come from because you're obviously hugely passionate about computers and with the greatest respect the majority of computer people i know can't string two words together and they kind of sit at their desks with headphones on and they just kind of just are in their own little world but you seem to have two feet in both camps you're equally good at communicating and equally good at building computer programs in some ways, I see a computer as just an extension of people. So uh, if it's a static computer, it's an extension of the developers and designers that created uh, the computer. And social media, I just see it as like a window to other people or the web, really. So I have a kind of unusual view of technology as something that can connect people. And I try to just see the people on the other side of the computer in my head even though I'm, what I'm looking at may be code or a web page, I realize that you know computers didn't create themselves. At some point, there was all computer errors are human errors. Like we can't truly blame the computer. We may not know what of the ten thousand people who built you know or contributed to the machine we're using, you know, is at fault for the bug that we're seeing. But ultimately, you know, it's just humans on the other side of it. You just maybe have to go back in time a bit uh, to see them all. But, but you can still express, you can still have a conversation, you can string six or seven words together extremely well. And that's, that's, <laughs> that's a different trait, isn't it? It is. It, uh, it, it took practice. It's something I, I had to learn. Um, the way I learned computers, though, I didn't take any classes. I would just talk to my friend's dads. We'd be at a party, and I would just get them talking. And uh, I would take buzzwords. I learned, you know, one conversation and take it into the next conversation and just ask questions about it because engineers and computer type people often very rarely have someone interested in their field most people's eyes glaze over and so I may not have understood everything they were talking about I may have only understood 20% but I was curious and so I would just sit and listen and you know these not social folks would be happy to talk to me for 30 minutes 45 minutes at a party talking about what they were building and what they were inventing and that's how I learned so I learned computers in a very kind of communicative 
way, which I think is part of the reason why I approach it a little bit differently. It wasn't a classroom. There was no homework. Uh, it's one of the benefits of homeschooling is that it, sometimes it's very non-standard in how you learn things. Well, that, homeschooling, this is a subject that I'm fascinated about because we don't have that over in the United Kingdom. If, if kids are expelled, then they stay at home. But otherwise, you just go to school. And it I think it was on episode maybe 36 or something, but somebody said, oh, yes, I was schooled at home. And I went, what? what? How, how do you do that? So you get up every morning and your mum or your dad teaches you. Is, is that how it happened with you? So that's, that's how it happens in theory. That's not actually how it happens in the real world. So uh, homeschooling in the real world often ends up being parent-supervised education, not necessarily print-taught education. So in, in elementary school, it's very much kind of parents teaching you spelling and math and whatnot. But the goal in homeschooling in elementary school is to teach you how to learn, and then they supervise your learning in middle school and in high school. And so by the time I was in high school, my mom would just give me a textbook and basically say, learn it. You know, it, it ended up being a very, the most valuable thing I learned in schooling was how to learn because now in technology, you know, there, you know, what I learned in college is already out of date, a lot of it. You know, those technologies we're not using anymore. And the other misnomer is that homeschoolers are at home all the time. So That's I what I thought. I thought it was at home all the time. Right. So um, there's a lot of, at least here in Texas, we have a lot of co-ops where uh, it started off as a homeschool parent, let's say is very passionate about math or science, would teach a class about math or science to a bunch of other homeschool students in the uh, community. And then what's happened in recent years is there's become an industry popping up where people now do that professionally. So I, my, a lot of my high school teachers are actually college professors that on the side would teach homeschool co-op classes. And since they were being paid directly by the parents, it was very inexpensive for us and a lot more money for them than what they got for that equivalent amount of time working for the university. And so we were able to cut out all of the administration of a school school system and give parents choices, not just on what they teach at home and what they get teachers, but also exactly what teachers they have. So they're able to match up students and teachers for the best possible fit. And so um, it was very flexible, and yet I had a lot of access to really excellent training in high school. And, and does it give you um, a desire to learn, or is it – because? You know, to be honest, the education system, when you're in it, you can't wait to get out of it. And it's just like a conveyor belt that you go through to come out the other end. And I'm very fascinated how so many of the successful guys and the ladies that speak to me pretty much say, you know, it was a complete waste of time for me. I, I learned more from being out of school than I did at school. And if school was going to be recreated, it should be life skills and not education as such. It should teach you things that you need in the real world. Did you feel that you got a kind of hybrid of the two doing homeschooling? I did, and my parents were, I'm very thankful that they allowed me to be curiosity-driven through a lot of um, my schooling. And so if I was curious about something, they would enable that. So they bought a lot of, you know, I've, they bought me a lot of dummies books on co various computer subjects because uh, I asked them to. I was like, I really want networking for dummies. I want to figure out how to connect these computers to each other. And that curiosity, every child is born curious. You know, when you go to kindergarten, it's like, okay, class, we're going to be learning about butterflies. Everyone's excited to learn about butterflies. But something happens in that process for most people where that curiosity is stamped out of them. And that didn't happen for me. So I listened to, you know, 40 or 50 podcasts I listened or I subscribed to that many podcasts I listened to you know 50 or 60 audiobooks every year a lot of which are nonfiction on all kinds of topics because that curiosity if it doesn't get killed it just grows into this fire and it's one of the primary driving forces in my life now is I'm curious about a lot of different things uh, the the challenge of that is that it makes it hard to focus because I have a lot of interests that are um, not necessarily compatible and so I have to choose uh, what interests to pursue and what interests not to pursue and that's uh, something I'm actually in this season trying to figure out you know what to do with the rest of my life uh, in terms of what interests to pursue next it, well, that's fascinating that you've got the opportunity to be able to do that because most people haven't got the awareness of what their curiosity can bring them and how to earn money from it. So to be able to sort of say, I want to go into an area that actually interests me and is a new area and I think I can be successful at that, you, you must be a rare breed, Thomas. 
I think that there are more people uh, who are curious uh, than you might think, um, but we have a culture where people who aren't curious feel like they have to keep it to themselves. It's a it's a culture where people were called nerds in school, and so they feel like they have to hide that element of them. And, and some of you listening, that may be your experience. You're really a very passionate and curious person, but you feel like the community around you does not approve of that. They want you to conform to this kind of go to the factory and create the widgets kind of lifestyle. And um, I just want to encourage you to embrace that curiosity, you know, buy that biography of that person you're curious about, you know, change from the channel about sports to the channel about history. And uh, you may find that as you feed that flame that once existed when you're a child, that it will spring back up uh, and that that's something that can change in your life. You're not like stuck. It's not like it's a it's died where you'll never be curious again. No, ab- absolutely. And my listeners are, are so curious. It's untrue. The kind of weird things that they email me about questions and, and why did I say certain things and stuff. You've got to be very careful with what you say in these kind of things because people pick up on them. But it's brilliant that they're actually focusing in on this content and coming to it time and time again to find that kind of inspiration. That The thing that really jumped out at me, and it's, it's a theme that runs through, and so it wasn't a surprise that you said it was that you feel that the curiosity is stamped out of us and somewhere along the line from being small children to going out into the world and earning our income we we lose that that core essence of who we are um is there any way that we can fight back on that or do you think that is naturally how life is people are so um so on a path of got to get a job, got to get education, got to get that, that they forget who they actually are in the first place. Uh, that's an interesting question. I, I think that one of the side effects of that system is that it makes the curiosity and the getting a job uh, puts them at odds with each other. When in reality, I think that they should be best friends. You know, the thing that you're passionate about, the thing that you're curious about, if you're really curious on a topic and you start studying that topic, the inevitable outcome is that you're going to be an expert on that topic. And so, depending, now some topics are more lucrative than others, but let's say it's even sports. You're really into football and you keep up with the Premier League or American football, you keep up with the NFL. There are jobs where you can be a you know, professional football commentator or a, or a blogger that's responding and covering a team very specifically. And so, um, in terms of the school system and how to fix it, I, I really don't know because uh, I didn't grow up in that school system. I and mean, there's so many things that are different between homeschooling and public schooling or private schooling that I, I wouldn't even know where to get started. Uh, I do know that money's not – I don't feel that the money's the answer because we had no money. I, I, every time I've been to a, a real, quote-unquote, real school, I'm just shocked at how nice the facilities are because, you know, for our co-ops, we were in a Sunday school classroom at some church. You know, we had – just nothing in the way of materials or resources or fancy facilities. And yet, despite that, I, I was very happy with the education that I received. I, I think it's interesting because you, you, you sound a hugely positive person, you know, and it's not a surprise that you've gone into different areas and you've, you've allowed your influence and your curiosity to come out. Well, when, when you sort of went into the sort of politics business at the, at the sort of beginning of your career was that natural curiosity again or have you always had an old head on your shoulders where were you when you were talking to these mums and dads about coding and stuff were, were you somebody that was more aware of your age about what needed to be done so again this goes back uh, to the homeschooling when i first got started homeschooling was only semi-legal in the United States and in Texas and they were still working out the laws and so I remember as a very young child hiding from the police we had cover stories if we were questioned about our schooling it was not something that was embraced uh, by the mainstream and so a lot of people especially young people don't experience laws uh, very often they don't have encounters with the government Uh, they don't pay taxes and so they don't care very much whereas our entire way of life was at risk uh, every time the Texas legislature was in session. We had powerful lobby groups that wanted to destroy homeschooling that were threatened by um, threatened by our very existence. And so I remember as a young child going to the Capitol and lobbying on behalf of homeschooling so that we could continue doing what we were doing because I was having this great experience and I didn't want the government uh, to shut that down. And so you'll find amongst the older homeschoolers, kind of my generation and up, that our pers- 
participation rates in government and in politics are much, much higher than your kind of typical person because we we saw what it was like and we saw, you know, some states put these very heavy regulations and other states had a lot of freedom. And nowadays, uh, the debate's kind of over. There's not a strong anti-homeschooling campaign saying that you know, homeschoolers aren't getting a good education or something like that because um, the academic community, especially universities, finds that being homeschooled is one of the highest um, predictors of success in college because that learning how to learn and that learning to be self-disciplined to learn that we almost have to get in homeschooling is a great preparation for college when you don't have someone looking over your shoulder all the time. So the, the, the political vibe though, was it something that you was always interested in or was it just to sort of go against a system that was trying to stop what you thought was good? It, it, to, to be perfectly honest, I started listening to Rush Limbaugh when I was like seven years old. <laughs> so I remember, you may not know Rush Limbaugh, he's a radio personality, he's an entertainer, but he talks a lot about politics. And I remember running into my parents' room, I was like, it's Open Live Friday, and I was all excited because he had this sound effect of people applauding and being excited. And I thought that those were real people because I wasn't old enough to really understand that. Uh, I can do the same, uh, look. <laughs> it's all a sham. Yeah. It's fake, yeah. So uh, I hate to break it to you if any of you listening are seven years old, but that that was not not real applause. But uh, it so was that's, that's that, that that was <laughs> honestly that was. I, I yeah, have a crowd. A... I record in front of a live audience. <clears throat> yeah, which you really could do. Actually, it's a live show. You could, but again, you couldn't hear them as it would be all on the internet. But, oh, God, so, you got me. You got me. You're too clever. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. So, um, but that's where it started. And that was where the seed was planted. And um, one of the things that my parents really believed in it was internships, uh, getting internships and learning on the job. And I'll tell you, um, if for those of you who are young, political internships are some of the best because a lot of political campaigns don't have very big budgets, which means that they may not have any paid staff. And what that means is that an intern can have a lot of responsibility, far more responsibility in a political campaign than that same um, person could get, say, in a corporation or for a nonprofit. And so that experience early helps uh, open the doors to other experiences. You're not getting paid, and it can be heartbreaking when you pour your sweat and tears into a campaign that that fails. You know, because uh, it's in here in the states, it's winner takes all. So you either win or you lose. There's no like, well, we won some seats and we lost others. And so you know, I remember I worked all semester. I took a semester off of school in high school and uh, went moved. 400 miles away from my family and worked the entire semester on a congressional campaign and we lost by like 2,000 votes, missed the runoff. And it was just heartbreaking that <laughs> I'd spent that whole time trying for something and it failed. But I learned so much and it opened up so many doors afterwards that um, I, would, I would do it again in a heartbeat. Even I, I don't know if I'd tell myself that I would lose, though. <laughs> so, I could talk to my past self, but I would do it again if I could. But but do you not get paid if you don't win? Do you, do you, you get paid if you do win, or is it just volunteer? Um, so typically, if you have a paid position, it's paid one way or the other. Oftentimes, there's some sort of winning bonus where if you win, you get a little bit of extra money. Um, the, the folks who really get the money are the consultants and the press. Uh, so... You know, a campaign might spend $100,000 on TV ads and $20,000 on staff. And so there's, uh, and all of that money you spend on the ads is, is gone. So politics in the United States is a really big business uh, for some people, which kind of makes me sad. And one of the things I realized is that the more you care, the less you get paid. So the folks who make the most money are the hired guns who don't really care about the issues. They're just working for whoever pays them. And that was never me. I, I really cared about policy and getting not just um, good ideas, but good people behind those good ideas. And it wasn't about the money for me. And so I realized that I needed to find my money somewhere else, that as a passion, uh, politics was great, but I didn't feel comfortable doing it as a business. And and what, at that age of your life, what were you most in love with? Were you still dabbling in computers and stuff, or were you looking at this as your your path? Um, I don't think I could have told. I think it would have depended what day you asked me. So some days I was very passionate about video games. Some days I was very passionate about speech and debate or websites. Other days I was very passionate about business, and uh, that 
problem of being passionate in too many things has I haven't gotten over that yet. <laughs> so, uh, like a lot of people are like, man, there's just one thing I want to do, and if I don't do that thing, my life is going to be, um, you know, failure. I'll be disappointed with my life. And for me, it's like there's just 50 things I want to do. <laughs> so it's like I got to pick uh, which of those 50 I want to pursue. And I've been very encouraged by the life of Benjamin Franklin because he was a um, author, he was a printer, he was a businessman, he was a scientist, he was a diplomat, and he was a political leader. Uh, and his secret was he didn't do any of those things at the same time. So he finished his business, he hired a manager to run his corporation, and he went into semi-retirement and just dabbled in science. And that's all he did was science. And that was his focus. And so he's doing all these things with electricity and making these big discoveries. And then um, when that season of his life came to an end and then he, he went to France and he was a full-time diplomat. He wasn't able to run his company here in the United States because he's in France and they didn't have cell phones or telegraphs in those days. And so um, he, he fully embraced the season that he was in. And that's been encouraging to me since I am passionate about multiple things that saying no to say politics in this season of my life doesn't mean that I'm saying no to politics forever and that there may come a different season where I'm doing something different in the future. And it could be that in 20 years I'm doing something that I never would have guessed and it's not even a passion right now, but the passion grows over time and now I'm doing something entirely new. I find that inspiring. I really do. The fact that you can say, yes, I'm going to put all my efforts into something and then when I not just get fed up with it, but when I feel like I'm done, I can move into something else. I, I was hearing an interview, you know the comedian Eddie Izzard, the English comedian? I don't think so. He, he's, he's quite well known in America. You're, you're, you'd recognise him. You'd recognise mm-hmm. him. And uh, he basically, when he was a young child, he planned out his life. And he said, the first five years I'm going to be doing this and the first next seven years I'm going to do this. And it wasn't just kind of, I'm going to be working in a job. He sort of really aimed for the stars. And he's now on his last part of being an actor. So he went from being a comedian to an actor. And now once he finishes that, he's going into politics and he already knows he's got like four years to go of being an actor and then he's into politics and that that's what his, his plans are and I, I found that fascinating that at such an early age he can have such foresight that not only that's what he wants to do but he can actually go ahead and achieve it in each of those areas yeah you're you're laying the foundation for your life uh, as a young person and what is built on top of that foundation can change and a little bit of foresight can help you know some things not to put in that foundation so you know if you want to go into politics you need to do your best to try to avoid any you know criminal activity <laughs> uh, you know people should feel uncomfortable voting for you know folks with a criminal record doesn't mean that people can't be <laughs> redeemed or something like that but you know you you're you're starting now building your future um, and I mean, I've got to, you've got to respect somebody who has that much planning. That's not me. I, uh, I tend to be more by the seat of my pants. But even in that, I kind of have a general direction of some of the things I know that I'm passionate about. And so I know, like politics, for instance, it, it's such a passion of mine that I keep getting pulled back in. Uh, not necessarily in ways that make me any money, but you know, I'll see a need or a cause and I'll just jump in on that and maybe for two weeks or or maybe serve on the board or something for an organization but it's uh it's hard to quit completely uh so to speak did you need to have a passion for the subject or is it the the risk that you like taking you know going into politics and politics and, and doing those kind of things it's not a done deal that you're going to win at the end of it is that what you kind of like the challenge or more that you're actually trying to make things better for people I think it's a little bit of both. Um, if, if in terms of challenge, you can get that better in a lot of other areas like sports. Uh, so for me, it's very much the cause. Uh, my generation, we want to make the world a better place and we want to um, change the world. And so that's very much a part of it. But your passion in something can grow. Uh, success in a thing can make you more passionate about it. If you think of the things that you're passionate about now, it's probably you had some early successes either as a child or when you first started doing that thing and that passion feeds on itself. And the true test of a passion is not in how it starts, it's how it handles adversity. You know, So when it starts raining on the fire, does the fire go out or does the fire 
uh, keep burning. And in terms of like what to do with your life, I'm talking with young people. It's like, you've got to follow your passions, but you can't just look at that. You know, if you have five or six passions, you want to also look at what you're skilled at. And because that place where your passions and skills overlaps, it's much better. You know, I may be very passionate about basketball, but I just don't have the skills uh, to do that in any more than a hobby. Um, but passions and skills alone aren't enough. I encourage people to also look at the needs of others. You know, so you can't just be looking at yourself. You have to also take into account the world around you. And if you can find that sweet spot where you're doing something you're passionate about and you're skilled at it and other people need that thing and are willing to pay for it, that's that sweet spot or that hedgehog uh, principle as uh, it says in the book, Good to Great, uh, which, you know, he's talking about it for corporations, but I think it's very much true for individuals as well. And uh, finding that is hard, you know, so maybe you're passionate about something and you know there's a, a need for it, but you don't have the skills. Well, I have some good news. There are institutions that will give you skills. <laughs> you know, you can go to university or uh, buy books and listen to podcasts. And you can get the skills uh, that you need. So it's not like you're stuck in one of those circles. You can grow and adapt uh, as you move forward in your life. Absolutely. And that's what it is. It's about moving forward, but taking a risk. And I'm going to play the first of one of our, our speeches that I like to play on the show because it really emphasizes what we're talking about. This is Jim Carrey. My father could have been a great comedian, but he didn't believe that that was possible for him. And so he made a conservative choice. Instead, he got a safe job as an accountant. And when I was 12 years old, he was let go from that safe job. And our family had to do whatever we could to survive. I learned many great lessons from my father, not the least of which was that you can fail at what you don't want. So you might as well take a chance on doing what you love. Now, I, I love that more every time I hear it. It, it really touches something inside me. I don't know if it's because I'm doing what I'm doing now, and which is a complete departure from what I was doing before. But just that fact, I, 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 it's like I want to get that message out to the world, Thomas. Yeah, because it can be um, really disappointing. And you hear these stories of people who are on their deathbed and they spent their whole life building something or searching for something and they realized that they really didn't want to be there and they're really unhappy. And... You know, one of those things that it's important to think about, and I try to remind myself from time to time, is, you know, what would deathbed Thomas tell present-day Thomas? Oh, you're a cheery uh, person, aren't you? <laughs> well, it, it, it could be really good. You know, what are it, it's a way of getting perspective of what is eternal, you know, what is really lasting. And because um, that can help kind of present-day Thomas make better decisions. And so the, one of the things that is really clear, if you think through that, is that people are a lot more important kind of in the long term and investing in people and your relationships with people that's not something to be sacrificed for some sort of short-term financial gain or political gain um, that can be a very toxic way to live your life but in the middle of the game uh, it's very tempting you're like man if I just burn this one bridge I'll have this short-term gain and I want to do that so much you're like no don't do it because uh, you, you may regret it later on down the road I, I, I was writing down Deathbed Thomas there, and um, that, that's a fantastic phrase. It's going it's to keep on coming back to me. But it's, it's true what you're saying. You know, I know I sort of jumped on it, but it, it's true. If you look at where you want your life to end up, if you're laying on a bed thinking, well, that was a rubbish ride, then you probably haven't made the right choices, or at least you haven't given it a go somewhat. And I, I think for many years, I would have ended up like Deathbed Thomas in a kind of room somewhere thinking if only i'd given it a go and now at least i will go i've tried my best and i think that's a pretty good place to be that's right and you know there's some things that i've done in my life that i regret but a lot most of those things are not the failures that i've had um because especially recently some of the fa failures in my life have really come back uh, to bless me or have led to successes that i would have never anticipated um and it's it's the things it's the things you tend to regret are often it's the risks you don't take or the things that you could have done and didn't it's very rarely the things that you did do and you wish um you'd have done it differently or it, it failed um, because ultimately our end the ends can't justify the means because our end is all the same we're all going all going to die and i know that sounds negative but it's just how life is and death is a natural part of life and so the only thing that really matters long term is uh, how you live that life. 
you know, what are you doing with those means, with the choices that you're given? Um, you know, and as a, as a Christian, you know, I have a kind of a realization that I'm accountable to God uh, for those things. But even if you don't uh, have a, a faith that you are a part of, you know, you're still accountable to your future self in a sense. You know, you are going to reap what you sow, what goes around, uh, comes around. And so, living your life with that kind of perspective, zoomed out just a little bit from the day to day, I think can really help give your decisions context and help you make um, better decisions, uh, which will then lead to better results. Well, when you've had these successes that have come back from failures, have you kind of sat back and put your hands behind your head and gone, this is, this is amazing? Or do you think that basically because you're trying so many things by the law of averages those kind of things occur it 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 is amazing because it's never the things that that are successful is what i would expected to be successful so like for instance i recently wrote a blog post that went viral and it was inspired on a uh, period of my life that was the most painful period of my life ever it was i went through a very difficult courtship and it failed and it caused me to ask a lot of questions about the nature of courtship and the system as homeschoolers that we've created. Because uh, in some ways, homeschooling in America is less an academic approach and it's more of like a minority group with our own norms. And, you know, very we have a lot of very interesting customs. And one of those is the way that we date. We don't date. We have this system called courtship. And I started to ask a lot of hard questions about it. And I finally posted those to my blog, some of the concerns I had about the system. And, you know, it just spread. Uh, all over the internet and I would have never guessed that such a painful season of my life uh, would lead to such a viral spread later <laughs> and if you'd have asked me at the time you know are you willing to do it if you know there's going to be a blog post at the end of the rainbow I'd have been like no way <laughs> but in hindsight I'm like well I'm glad I went through that it's it's funny on the timeline the join up dots timeline so many people will look at a big dot in their life and and say those those words you've just said that god it was a rubbish time i wish i hadn't gone through it but actually yeah i i got a lot of from it you know it's i, I wouldn't want to go through it again but i'm glad i did because it's moved me on to the next point and i i know that blog post you're talking about because i i do an amount of virtual stalking to get ready for these shows and when i was typing in your name it, if you type in thomas and then um you either get thomas umbrella or Thomas Umstadt. <laughs> and if you get Thomas Umstadt, then this courtship thing is literally on every single page. It's more than viral, isn't it? Yes, it got uh, nearly a million page views in three weeks, and it's now since the site overall has gotten far more than a million page views. And this was for a site that was just my personal blog that I hardly ever posted to. The month before I wrote this post, I had 2,000 page views. So it was, you know, it wasn't that I had this big platform of all these people that wanted to read my blog. It was just this one post resonated with a lot of people who had had a similar journey and had similar concerns or who violently and viciously disagreed with me. <laughs> so I've had dozens and dozens and dozens of blog posts attacking me personally and attacking that post, which is, again, you know, God working uh, all things together for good. Those negative posts are what caused my blog post to rank so well on Google because they all linked to the post with the word courtship somewhere in the link. And so in trying to hurt my article by, you know, here are the 10 reasons why Thomas is wrong. Somebody did a seven-part blog post refuting my article but every one of those posts linked to my post helping me rank and get out to more folks so uh, there's a silver lining for every cloud and I know that sounds very trite but it, it it's important to remember that because it was painful when I mean my mom was in tears at one point reading her friends criticizing her son on Facebook <laughs> and it was you know a very difficult uh, season but it was uh, it was an exciting one as well because I'd never done anything that got the kind of mainstream attention before that's why you're so pale isn't it for a whole season you hid behind your sofa with your curtains drawn <laughs> yeah it was um I mean, in drawing the curtains, we really did do that when I was growing up as a homeschooler because we were afraid the cops would look in. But you, courage is not the absence of fear. And I knew I was going to get attacked. And boldness is the abs absence of fear. If you're bold, you are not feeling fear. You just do something. But courage is being scared out of your mind and doing, doing it anyway. And whether it's starting a business or asking somebody out on a date, the most important things in life 
uh, are scary. You know, writing a book is scary. Putting out a blog post is scary. And it's overcoming that fear um, is, is the, I'm not going to say it's the key to success, but it's critical for success. And uh, there's a great book called The War of Art um, by Pressfield, I believe is the author. And he talks about this fear as the resistance. And uh, Seth Godin, in talking about that book, says you can actually use that fear as your ally because your fear afraid of or the resistance is for the things that are often the most beneficial for you. Mm. And so that fear, you can turn it on its head and use it almost as a guiding light. And you figure out, what am I most afraid of? And then you do that thing. If if you do that, if you live your life that way, you're going to be on a crazy adventure, and uh, you're going to get a lot farther in life than if you do the opposite, which is what it, what am I afraid of? I'm going to do anything but that thing because that one thing you're afraid of is often the very next step uh, to your ultimate success. Yeah, no, I I agree with that totally. And I'm in an environment now that is really uncomfortable on a daily basis and I will go to bed some nights and some nights I go to bed thinking this is amazing I'm invincible everything's going great and then I wake up the next morning and go oh my god I've got to do this thing today and I, I'm terrified a lot of the time and I will hold my hands up and I will say on the mic a lot of what you hear with me talking is actually me getting over a fear of somehow but as I do it I now realize that it is as I call it's my body's compass it's showing me the way to a future that should be better because every time I overcome that fear I've actually grown and then I realized most of the time it wasn't scary anyway it was just something that would kind of seem scary in my head but you just keep on going keep on going keep on going and now I'm I'm not quite there but I'm almost there but I look forward to the scary bit where I kind of go, oh, there we go. That's another way. I'm going to go that way now. That's that's so great. And if you think about it, think about the things that were really scary for you five and ten years ago. You know, the idea of those things now is often not scary at all. Like it's it's almost you almost laugh at your past self for being so afraid of that thing because once you overcome it, you truly do overcome it. I mean, some things may always be scary. You know, if you're afraid of heights, you may always get a kind of pitter-patter when you're at the edge of a, a tall building. But even something like that, the more you embrace it, uh, the less power over you it has. So so what kind of scares you? Because you are, you know, uh, the owner of your own company. That must have been pretty scary, actually launching that and going into it, into the unknown. Um, you stand up in front of, you know, huge audiences and you speak and that's quite scary as well. So can you remember times when you almost thought, no, I can't do this? Or has it just been such small fears that you've just overcome them quite easily? Uh, well, those times of, no, I can't do this happens uh, almost daily. <laughs> so sometimes I'm very confident, but my, my journey has been very much like yours. You know, there are nights, you know, just even in the last few weeks where I've had a hard time sleeping because I was so afraid. And um, I remember there was a moment um, when I was growing up, uh, my dad is an accountant and accountants occasionally have run-ins with organized crime. Uh, you know, a lot of folks who work with the FBI are accountants. And um, he, he, we never really got the, the details, um, but it, you know, at one point he came home and he's like, everybody locked the doors. And he was, you know, there was just this sense of fear that he had. And apparently he had, you know, gotten on the wrong side of somebody who had a, a, a tangible form of power or something like that. And I remember after a couple of days, he was like, all right, I'm deciding not to be afraid anymore. And he didn't allow um, that fear to rule his life. And he just made a conscious decision. I'm not going to allow you know, the boogeyman, uh, for lack of a more specific word, to, to rule me. And um, I think that's, that's critical. We have, and, it's, and it's quintessentially uh, American. Not to say that it's non-American, but it's a, a value that we put in our music. So we say it's, we're the land of the free and the home of the brave. And to be free, you have to be brave. And I'm not just talking about free in a, like a political sense, but free in terms of your business. You know, if you want to be free from your boss, you have to be brave. You know, those things go hand in hand. It's like breathing in and breathing out. And that, that cur courage is a value that all people share. There's no nation in the world, no country that values cowardice. <laughs> it's like we are a nation of cowards. No one says that. Like we can, that's a, a, it's one of the few universal attributes that everyone can admire. And you can admire courage even in an enemy. Uh, and there are many instances throughout history where a warrior is given mercy by a very ruthless leader because they admire their courage in battle or, or what have you. And so um, I have to have that constant reminder 
uh, you know, and, and fear is something I have to battle with on a daily basis. And to answer your question, you know, fear of failure, feel, fear of financial failures. You know, so I've had a lot of kind of visible successes. You know, I'm running this company and, you know, these various things. But none of those successes yet have led to financial success. And this is one of the things that um, can be a bit discouraging. You look at people and they look so successful, but you're not necessarily seeing the whole story. Mm. You know, people who look at me on stage, they're like, oh, wow, he knows all these things. What they don't know is that I live in a two-bedroom apartment with my sister and I have a, you know, leaky trunk in my car and mold everywhere and I can't afford to replace it because I haven't had that financial success yet. And, you know, just to be, you know, super transparent for your all your tens of thousands of listeners. Um, and so... You have to be okay with that, and it's it's something I deal with. You know, people judging me, or you know, kind of the cat getting out of the bag that he really doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, all of those things are things you have to have to constantly deal with. And each victory makes the next victory easier. Um, and each defeat is an opportunity to try again. You know, it's not like it's once and for all. You know, I, I thank God that I'm not living in a generation like what my grandparents went through, you know, fighting World War II, you know, especially in England, you know, what y'all had to go through in World War II or someone was literally dropping bombs on you every single day. I mean, that I just couldn't imagine that, you know, that's a totally different kind of fear to overcome. <laughs> uh, and that historical perspective I find to be very helpful as well. It's like, you know, really business failure compared to what other generations have gone through is not a big deal. No, I, I agree with that. When, when I started this being super transparent as well, I was frightened of starting it, even though I knew it was something I wanted to do. And then when it started to really go nutballs and, and the audience figures started flying up, I actually was more scared then that I was creating something that I couldn't quite keep control of somehow and then it, it is sort of all right after a while and then i've gone to a next scary level and it just keeps on going up going up going up and i just have to keep on thinking to myself just do what they liked in the first place and keep on trying to do it because once your head starts spinning off into different directions you really do lose control of that kind of that 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 fear compass that points the direction it just keeps on spinning around spinning around and you get nowhere that's exactly right and um yeah, just em embracing it. I know that's not what you want to hear, but uh, my co-host on my podcast, uh, he he was very afraid of uh, heights and, and uh, skydiving. And so he purposely went skydiving because he was afraid of it. And I'm not ready to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. <laughs> Um, but I admire that kind of courage, even on something as it would seem so silly as that. But again, that fear compass only works if you're not afraid of trivial things. You have to get past the fears of the trivial things, at least in part, before the fear compass really starts guiding you on the right path. And I'm not saying that jumping out of a plane necessarily is the right path, but there may be a new right path as you build that courage muscle uh, in yourself. I don't get the point in jumping out of airplanes, I'll be honest. I've, I've been on <laughs> thousands of planes. They've all landed. And I think by law of averages, if it's going to crash, you're not going to get a chance to jump out anyway. So I see no point in it. Just wait until the plane lands and step out. I hear you. I hear you. There we go. There we go. So uh, what I want to do is just before I put you on the sermon on the mic, I do want to play the words of Steve Jobs because this is the theme of the show. And you've had a kind of squirrely career getting to where you are today. So I want to see if these words have resonance to you. So this is Steve Jobs. Of course, it was impossible to connect the dots looking forward when I was in college, but it was very, very clear looking backwards 10 years later. Again, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever, because believing that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path, and that will make all the difference. So what do you think about those words? If I were to talk to, I think he's right on the money, and it's so true as I was listening to that, that that's exactly how it's been. And I remember when I was in high school, I was like, I will not do technology once I graduate from college. The whole point of college is to get out of technology and just do business. And, you know, of course, I'm still in technology. I didn't see how the dots uh, would connect. Um, so, yeah, it's, I, I think that's really, really solid advice. And it's, it's, it's a freeing advice. It gives hope because when, when you're in a difficult season, you know, say you're going through a business failure or, you know, a relationship is falling apart, all you can see is the pain. 
it's like that one the dot that you are in is so overwhelming that you can't see beyond it and your world gets very small and so remembering that you're not how you are now is not how you will always be is a very freeing concept and it's something that we need constant reminders of it's and i I think that's why your show is so popular is that it's a daily reminder (laughs) and and a lot of uh, folks are very appreciative of that because you can remember and then you forget and then you remember and then you forget and um that perspective is is priceless so so do you have a big dot in your life when when you look back do you kind of go yeah, that that was really where I started becoming who I am now. I went through 2008 was a very painful year for me. I uh, had a very the very painful courtship breakup. My grandfather died. I had a business fail. Um, I in graduating from school, my friends all left the town uh, that I was living in at the time, and my dad had a heart attack. <laughs> it was kind of like in a six month period, it's like bang, 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 and um, it was. Because of that season, that you know, I, I pivoted and started uh, what is now the company that I'm still running. I, I um, eventually moved back to Austin and started making some changes. But that was kind of a pivot point in my life that made me start to ask a lot of deep questions, and you know, led you know six years later to you know successful blog posts and possibly a book. Uh, a lot of folks are requesting that I write a book on the blog post kind of to expand it. And uh, I didn't see it at the time <laughs> as a dot. I was like, this is just so painful. I, I, I couldn't see beyond it. But in hindsight, I could see, you know, God doing a work in me and, and, and character being developed and realizing who I am. Uh, as my dad says, success is a poor teacher. And there are some lessons that only failure can teach. And so, since that year, I've been reading a lot of books on failure, trying to learn from failure, because I don't want to go through the suffering and not learn the lesson. That's like the most tragic thing. It's like, if I'm going to go through the suffering. I want to learn the lesson that this suffering has to teach. And um, so that's, that's the path that I'm on. Well, I think you are going to do amazingly well, because I just think that you have got a deep belief in what's right and the way to do it as well. And it just comes across big time on the conversation today. And I'm going to do something now, Thomas, that I've never done before. This is the end of the show. And this is the sermon on the mic when I would normally send you back in time to have a one on one with your younger self. But I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to go and ask deathbed Thomas to go back in time, (laughs) because I'd be fascinated to see even if he could get off the bed first of all so i'm going to play the theme tune and i'm going to send him back in time to have a one-on-one with his younger self and he can choose any age he could even choose you this is how how open i'm being tonight so this is up and this is the sermon on the mic With the best bit of the show The sermon on the mic The sermon on the mic So, hello, 2008 Thomas. This is Deathbed Thomas. And I know that things are really tough uh, for you right now. This is a a painful season. And uh, I'm not going to lie to you that it's going to get better all at once because your life's going to have a lot of ups and downs in the future. Uh, But I want to encourage you not to give up. Uh, Things are going to be tough uh, at times, and I know they're tough now, but the hardest seasons have the biggest lessons to teach. It's the droughts that cause the roots of a tree to go deeper. And uh, if I were to encourage you to do something, it would be to seek out partners in your life. And you can't walk this road alone. And I know that after a failed relationship, you're very um, bitter, but that is not uh, the way to live the rest of your life. And you're going to need partners, um, especially in business. (laughs) You don't have all the answers. You think you do right now. You think you know how to run a business, uh, but you're going to need folks who who have strengths where you have weaknesses. And uh, don't go through life alone. Invest in your family. Uh, invest in your relationship uh, with God. That's not just something that happens. You have to make a point to spend time with God and love Him and allow yourself to be loved um, by Him. And finally, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good uh, because you're not going to find perfection, but there's a lot of good things in store for you uh, if you're willing to embrace them. Thomas, I am absolutely delighted that Thomas Umstead deathbed thomas sounded so healthy he, he <laughs> he's doing all right he's he's fighting fit 
Yeah, hopefully Deathbed Thomas won't come around anytime soon. No, absolutely. A long time. So how can our audience connect with you, Thomas? So uh, you can find, um, I have a podcast, Novel Marketing Podcast. It's a podcast on uh, marketing. Just do a search for Novel Marketing uh, in the iTunes store. If you want to read the post on courtship, just Google the word courtship. It should rank uh, in the top um, first page of Google. And then um, our other blog is Odd Author Media. That's my company blog. And we talk a lot about how to get published and kind of how publishing works. So if you have a book in you, we have a lot of free resources there to help get that book out into the world. We will have all the links on the show notes. And if you can't remember how to spell Thomas's name, just write Thomas Umbrella. And then I promise <laughs> his name will be number two. It happened every single time for a whole week. Thomas Umbrella is the way forward. Thomas, thank you so much for spending time with us today, joining up those dots. And please come back again when you have more dots to join up, because I do believe that by joining up those dots and connecting our past, it's the best way to build our futures. Thomas, thank you so much. Thank you, David. This was great. Thanks for good. David doesn't want you to become a faded version of the brilliant self you were once. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Join Up Dots, brought to you exclusively by podcastersmastery.com. The only resource that shows you how to create a show, build an income, and still have time for the life that you love. Check out podcastersmastery.com now. David doesn't want you to become a faded version of the brilliant self you were once to become. So he's put together an amazing guide for you called the eight pieces of advice that every successful entrepreneur practices, including the two that changed his life. Head over to joinupdots.com to download this amazing guide for free, and we'll see you tomorrow on Join Up Dots.